Welcome to Let's Talk Agriculture. In this podcast, Adam White, Head of Agriculture for Barclays UK, chats with Christopher Price, Chief Executive of the Rare Breed Survival Trust, about the aims of RBST and the importance of farming rare and native breeds. Here's Adam. Hello, I'm Adam White, the Head of Agriculture for Barclays, and I'm really pleased to have with me today Christopher Price from the Rare Breeds Survival Trust. And Christopher and I had a conversation a few months ago just around what the Rare Breeds Survival Trust do. So Christopher, welcome to the Barclays Let's Talk Business podcast. And, and hopefully for our listeners, we'll be able to explain a little bit around what the Rare Breeds Survival Trust do. But, but could, you, could you explain who you are and, and what, it is, what it is that you do? That would be a great starting point. Well, yes. I mean, and first of all, thank you so much for inviting me. It's great to have the chance to talk to you about our, our wonderful native breeds. As our organisation's name suggests, we exist to conserve and promote native livestock, actually livestock and and equines, we cover both. And we do so in a variety of ways. The starting point is recognising that our our native breeds came into being to meet human needs in in various ways, whether that's providing food or fibre or transport. And the more we can do to remind people of that, we think the the easier it will be to secure a future for the breeds. But many of the breeds also are increasingly being recognised for the wider public benefits they provide in terms of the what they add to the quality of the landscape and through their grazing habits. And um, we work with government to uh, encourage the direct support of those through through payment. And finally, in the case of those breeds who, notwithstanding our, our work on the on the commercial side and on the government side, are still struggling, we carry out our own conservation projects to try and secure a future for them. And okay. it's our 50th anniversary this year, and to date, nothing has gone extinct since we've been in existence. Excellent. And, and congratulations on 50, 50 years, and it's uh, good to have you on the podcast in time for that. So I, I think... Many farmers will be aware of local breeds. So breeds, for example, if I think about the Lincolnshire Red, certainly that's a popular breed in, in Lincolnshire. But what, why, so why is it so important to protect those those rare breeds in the UK? It's not something we, we hear lots about. Well, actually, I think we are increasingly hearing more about it. You know, as agriculture changes and farmers have to move from uh, a highly subsidised, regulated world into a much more market-facing world, farmers are going to have to adapt. You know, They're not going to be able to go and trade on global bulk commodity markets in the way they might have done historically. Farmers, some if not all, will need to start looking at uh, different ways to run their businesses. And for livestock farmers, native breeds can be a particularly attractive option. And that's on on both sides of the equation. Most native breeds being bred to thrive in our landscape and climate can cope outdoors, on grass, with little in the way of vet and med bills or requirements for housing. So the input costs go down quite significantly, which will obviously be attractive to many farmers. Moreover, as farmers need to become more alert to the importance of, of marketing and developing their own brand, native breeds through a combination of their low environmental footprint and indeed the local connection that you mentioned can have a quite a good USP based on their on local produce. But it's not just for their commercial benefits that our, our native breeds should be cherished. As you'll know, just before Christmas, the UK was a signatory to the COP15 agreement in Montreal. 
And in that agreement, there's a specific recognition of the importance of kept animals as being part of biodiversity in just the same way as their, their wild counterparts. And indeed, the need to preserve biodiversity, not just at the, at the species level, but at the individual breed level. This is something we find is quite common in many other parts of the world. In Eastern Europe, for example, they will frequently talk about the need to preserve rarer species of cattle, pigs and goats, etc. But that's something we've lost in the UK. But hopefully the recent agreement will be a, an incentive to the UK authorities to do more to support our, our native livestock. Excellent. So, so, Christopher, I think one of the things over certainly the last five or six years is is the farmers I speak to, the sector, we're, we're talking much more about greenhouse gas emissions in the UK and livestock and cattle are obviously a key focus of that. But but we've also started to move that conversation towards biodiversity and, and you've mentioned that and nature and how farming plays such an important role in that. So is that an area where rare breeds are able to support farmers who are, who are looking to improve their biodiversity or their support for nature? Uh, absolutely. RBST was one of the first organisations to recognise the significance of conservation grazing 20-odd years ago. And one of our main activities is providing training courses to those with an interest through the um, Grazing Animals project, which has been up and running for some time. Although many farmers and well, particularly livestock keepers will talk about conservation grazing, native breeds, I think, have a particular role to go and play here. After all, if we're looking to save or, or recreate the, the habitats which we cherish, you know, the meadows and the pasture land, you know, it's worth bearing in mind that most of those were created by our native breeds. You know, they, they grazed them, they created them. And if we want to restore those habitats, then what better to use than those animals? And one of the things that's proved particularly gratifying in the last few months is the extent to which governments, not just the Westminster government, but also the devolved governments, have recognised the contribution of, of native livestock in this regard. For those of you farming in England, you'll hopefully be aware that in the Agriculture Act, there are specific provisions to make payments to farmers who keep native livestock and equine. And in part, that's because of their, their grazing impact. In Wales, the Welsh agricultural policy is even more sympathetic to the benefits of native livestock and looks as though it will be providing very generous, comprehensive support to farmers who keep native breeds. Excellent. And, and that's great to see it recognised in, in legislation because we know legislation and consumers are a big, big driver of changing agriculture and, and, and helping farmers to make those changes. So, Absolutely. I, Although some may say that getting the, the mention in legislation is the easier bit it's getting governments to act on it having committed to it in the first place when when things change absolutely and and hopefully we, we start to see some of that feed in now we've got the elms scheme to to allow some of that flexibility and i know, I know wales is on the journey to to what does their subsidy look like and that's that's great news um, i think it's important not to use the word subsidy this isn't a subsidy in the in the way in which businesses are subsidized because they're thought to be a good thing in both Wales and England, this is very much a contract for providing services. You know, those farmers who want to go and do more for nature in whatever way, including supporting native breeds, are being paid for doing so. It's not a subsidy in the sense of business support. That's a very good challenge. And, and it just highlights the change in mindset, doesn't it, from subsidy to incentive for exactly, taking yes. activity. And that, 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 that's the crux of it. So we've talked, we've talked about nature, um, a little bit about emissions and what the Rare Breed Survival Trust do. I think one of the things we did some research last year 
around consumer behaviors and consumers consumers play a huge part in in how farms adapt and and what they look to deliver and we saw a massive move during covid to local supply chains local food i'm sure we all saw the pictures in the press of customers standing outside farm shops because that was the best place to go is that an area where incorporating rare breeds can help support with local food production Absolutely. And, more local. And, and many native breed farmers operate on the basis of, of short supply chains, in part because it's you know, part of their USP. If you think of many breeds, they are named after the area from which they come because they were they were bred deliberately to meet the needs of people in that in that locality. And that's um, a, big, a big part of the, the business model for many people, which is why a lot of them won't sell or deliver more than 30, 50 miles from where they are. There is also the more direct commercial benefit of the more that you can do to take costs out of the supply chain including uh, middlemen the better there is more money to made if you sell direct to the consumer than if it has to go via via a supermarket but it was particularly interesting to go and see during covid how agile many native breed farmers were those whose businesses depended on supplying restaurants felt particular challenge because the the market dried up straight away but it was impressive how agile many of them turned out to be being able to adapt their businesses often within hours to start supplying farm shops and the like who were all facing increased demand now it really showed the benefits of having small scale local production so listening back to the conversation i think there's lots of benefits in terms of bringing native breeds into to a farming system. So you've got reduced input costs. We've talked about the biodiversity and, and natural benefits, the, the protection, the future incentives and payments that would be linked to, to action. And, and then we've talked about that, that local food supply chain. So have you got any examples of farmers that have seen those benefits from incorporating rare breeds into their farming systems? Have you got any examples you could share? Or Yes. I mean, there's two particular models that we come across. The first is the either new entrant or established farmer who is thinking it's time to have a proper look at the, the numbers underpinning the business and doing so in the round. Sadly, there's, there's still too many livestock farmers who judge their success by the, the, the price they sell for at auction or whatever. And it's only when they start looking at the, all the input costs, feed, etc., uh, and indeed the family time that goes into the business, that they realise that although they might be getting a significant price for the animal at, at auction, the profit is is negligible. And when they start comparing that with native breeds, which, as I've said, don't need lots of supplementary food and tend to have lower vet and med bills because they were bred to be in that locality and, and therefore don't have the hardships some of the continental breeds face in our climate, you know, the input costs go down and it becomes a, a bit of a no-brainer to, to make the switch. And there's there's plenty of farmers I've come across who've gone through that decision and indeed are going through that decision as they have to be a, become a bit more cost savvy with with L, with um, BPS being phased out. The other model is farmers who recognise that there's additional produce available as a result of keeping native breeds. There's a lot of people, particularly in the uplands, who will keep native breeds because they're particularly suited for there and who will have established businesses selling the meat. But increasingly, there's demands for what we've, until comparatively recently, regarded as just byproducts. You know, the wool, the skins, the horns, these all have a value. And if the farmer is sufficiently entrepreneurial, they can sell these for a fairly significant amount. 
if you can find someone to process the skins for you, they will sell for a relatively high price. The horns are often attractive to craftspeople who use them for buttons and walking sticks, etc. You know, it's not much per unit, but it's a market that you wouldn't otherwise have for something that would traditionally have been been thrown away. And there's quite a lot to be made from all of that. And and, and is there any is there any farms or farming systems that you would say native breeds aren't suitable for them? Because it sounds it sounds like you could almost fit them into to any farming system. I mean, they don't lend themselves to industrial intensive type systems, you know, which is why they became unpopular during the period when that sort of farming was in its prime, as we're at the, the height of the worst excesses of the common agricultural policy. Farmers were encouraged to start importing continental breeds because if they were filled with artificial feed, they, they grew quickly. And if they were kept in big metal sheds, you could control disease and things to some extent. But that world, going too far to say it doesn't exist anymore, but it feels as though it's on the way out as people care much more about where their food comes from, want to know that their animals have lived a good life, want to be sure that their environmental footprint is being kept to an absolute minimum. And that's why animals which are live their lives grazing outside, growing at their natural rate, are becoming more popular. Mm. And, and, and that's a challenge for, for all farming is moving that, moving from that post-World War II approach to, to intensity. And like you say, we're, we're seeing many more opportunities for that to change. Exactly. I mean, this... Farming is going to become much more entrepreneurial, I think, in the future. The idea that you can just produce food in the near certain knowledge that someone will buy it, I don't think is going to be the case for indefinitely. Farmers will need to think much more about their customers their markets and the need to be agile to meet the, the changing demands of that. That's a very good. It's a very good headline, I think, for the for the podcast. Certainly, thank you. <laughs> and 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 we've talked about so much in terms of the benefits. Is is there any way farmers can get involved and see what you're doing in action and and, and examples of this? And I think I think equally as importantly, when I was at Dairy Tech last week, we were talking around. We were talking around young people are much, much more involved in, in where food comes from. They're more, they're more interested in, in agriculture and farming and, and, and in a positive way. Is there any way that farmers and non-farmers can get involved and, and actually see some of this in action? Well, of course, yes. I mean, RBST is a, a membership organisation and we would be delighted for anyone with an interest in, in what we do to, to join up with us. It's a you know, straightforward thing during the website. I've mentioned that we run a, a significant number of training courses, partly on setting up grazing systems, but also introductions to handling livestock. So a range of things out of there. If you're thinking of introducing native breeds onto your holding, particularly at a, a larger scale, RBST offers a, a consultancy service. We can help identify the animals which will be right for you and help you source them. We also have presence at a significant number of shows around the country where we'd be delighted to go and talk to anyone with an interest in what we do. You know, we're looking forward to being at Groundswell later this year, Royal Highland, Farm Business Innovation Show. There's a whole variety of events we'll be at. Brilliant. Thank you for joining me, Christopher. That's been a, a fascinating conversation into the, the benefits for native breeds. And, we, and we've touched on a huge number of areas, be it greenhouse gas emissions, be it biodiversity in nature, input costs, the benefits of local food production. But it's been really fascinating to hear probably what is a very well-kept secret, but certainly an area that farmers need to be thinking more about. And, and that's exactly what these podcasts are for. So Christopher, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a really useful session and 
yeah, you've pointed out where people can go for, for more information. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for inviting me. And if we can help any of your customers who are interested in thinking outside the box a little, then we'd be delighted to help. That'd be great. Thank you very much. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and you'll receive a notification when we release the next episode, when we'll take a closer look at another topic facing UK farm businesses and landowners. All of the Let's Talk Agriculture podcasts are available to listen to or download from the Barclays Let's Talk Business channel on Spotify, Apple and SoundCloud. Make money work for you. Now for the legal stuff, we promise to keep it short. We're not responsible for nor do we endorse in any way third-party websites or their content. The views and opinions expressed in this content do not reflect the views of Barclays and shouldn't be taken as statements of policy or intent of Barclays.